Live from London, this is The Drive Home with Seb Ventura on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is The Drive Home Show on the 9th of December. Are you there yet? Not quite. We've got a week to go, guys. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about Christmas shows. We're going to be talking about whether we should close early or not. And also, we're going to be discussing at depth metacognition and self-regulation in depth even. What does that mean? How do you get your students to do it? Live from London, this is The Drive Home with Seb Ventura on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag ttradio. Yep, good afternoon, everyone. I uh, hope you've had a good week. We're nearly there. Uh, Friday tomorrow. Whoop, whoop. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping that everyone is still going. Uh, I know at the school that I've been working in uh, this term, there's been a lot of people not in, uh, which has obviously caused a lot of problems in terms of staffing. So I'm sure that's a similar picture across the country. Um, and it's actually not the kids getting COVID uh, or even the, the teachers, really. But I mean, I guess everyone... Um, it's been super careful and maybe just not been able to go in for whatever reason. So it's a complicated old time, isn't it, for teachers and for schools. Um, and I really do feel like everyone is just literally limping over the line. Um, but anyway, we're going to stay positive today. We've got a jam-packed show, uh, lots to talk about. Um, and we're going to try and keep it upbeat um, as it is nearly uh, Christmas time. Um, I haven't got a show next week, so this is my last uh, last show uh, of the year and my last show uh, that I'm going to get a chance to be a little bit Christmassy. Um, I was a bit bar humbug last week because I was talking about schools putting up their trees early and how that can send kids a little bit loopy behaviour-wise. But now that we're into the second week of December, I think it's probably acceptable to start getting a bit excited. Even if, as most blokes uh, out there probably will agree, uh, you probably haven't got your presents yet. Um, slightly sexist, but I think probably slightly true. Um, but yeah, I mean, I haven't even started getting mine yet, so I'm, I like to leave it as late as possible. Um, right, what are we talking about today? Let's uh, think. We have got number one. I would like, I put a lot of this out on Twitter, so if you do follow me or indeed Teacher Talk Radio, you'll have seen this. But if you don't and you're just joining me, welcome um, from wherever you're listening across the world. Um, we are looking at... First of all, I'm going to have a little talk to you about Christmas shows. Uh, so I'd like to know, um, in terms of productions, I'm fortunate usually working in schools where there are big school productions, uh, but I'm sure that's normal across the board in primary and secondary. Um, Christmas productions, we were very close to having a lovely celebration just before the Omicron uh, variant was released. Everybody was getting excited. Rehearsals were going well. Kids were excited. Parents were excited. Even my own children uh, where my own daughter was in a, a Christmas nativity play. She had a lead part and was all like, chuffed about that. But of course, it all just got quashed um, very, very sadly indeed. So my question to the, my listeners today, and please get in touch. You can either uh, click call in at any point on the Podbean app, and that will connect you directly to the studio with me now. Or if you feel too shy for that, um, just send a little message. I can see Ian there uh, listening uh, thanks for joining me, Ian. Um, just put a little uh, chat, a little message in the chat, a little text um, with what you're doing about Christmas shows. Uh, most places I know I've cancelled them. 
Some places I know are doing a kind of reduced um, version. So they may be doing their Christmas shows instead of to the public, maybe just to other year groups, like a large assembly, effectively. Uh, some schools I know are being a little bit super uh, technology style, super modern, and actually doing their shows uh, live online streaming. Uh, other places are doing a film of it, and then they're going to obviously upload that after or sell the DVD. So there is there are ways around it. It isn't the same. Um, we know that, but um, but I just like to know. Let me let me know. Get in touch. What are you doing? What is your school doing? Even if you're not a drama teacher, what is your school doing to get around uh, the COVID situation um, in regards to Christmas productions or nativities or Christmas carol services? Whatever your school normally would do. Um, or is it just totally off? Is it just head teachers saying, no, you're not doing it, it's too too dangerous, too risky? Or are you um, being a bit gung-ho and doing it anyway? I don't know. But anyway, let me know. Um, send me a message, those people joining me today. Um, let us know what you are doing about your Christmas shows. And the other topic I want to talk about in regards to this is, should we close early? Now, personally, I think on this one, I don't see why we're not closing tomorrow. I think we all know the last week of term is a bit of a write-off. Even if you keep your expectations high, um, we all know that we start to slack off a bit. I'm not saying everybody's putting uh, you know, Christmas films on in every lesson, certainly not. But certainly the last few days is a little bit more light-hearted. Maybe that level of, of academia isn't there. Maybe you've done your assessments now and, and it's all about having a you know, celebration, a bit of fun with your classes, which again, nothing wrong with that. I completely um, support that. I think it's important as teachers, we are humans and that we realise students are not just there um, just to get grades. So I think it's totally, absolutely fine if, if that's what schools do. But my point here is, if we kind of know um, that that is going to happen, why are we carrying on with another four days or even five days where we could really risk um, a big, big upturn in infections um, just before the holidays. Nobody wants to have their Christmas ruined. Um, I, I said about six months ago on my show that I didn't really want to talk about COVID as it was beginning to calm down. And um, we were all talking about the after effects for kids and the long-term damage. I still didn't really want to go on about it on my show. And um, But, you know, obviously it's not going away, is it? So the, the, it has, you know become part of a life and it is especially if you're a teacher particularly if you're in education I think it is really really uh, massively a game changer for us not just long term um, but also short term in terms of day-to-day -day planning lessons uh, kids well-being and welfare and teachers well-being as well and how you manage that as a as a leader as well if you're a head teacher how do you manage the the high expectations with also the fact that it is just unprecedented times, let's, let's be honest. So um, two questions for you, um, which are, what are you doing about Christmas shows? So get in touch, send me a text or call in. Um, and also, do you think we should close early? Do you think Boris should have announced um, that maybe tomorrow would be the last day of term and that we would let kids go home a little bit early? I mean, obviously, it's a debatable topic, isn't it? Um, you may want to disagree, and that's fine. That's what we're here for on Teachers Talk Radio. Um, if you disagree, then let me know why. Um, I guess the flip side is you've got parents who then have got to babysit, although most parents now have been told to work from home, so that would kind of kill that bird with that stone. But, yeah, I suppose there is a, there is a ramification of lost learning time, and the government would probably argue that 
students have lost enough to learning time already. Why are we giving them another week off? My point is we all kind of know what that last week is like. Um, but maybe the government don't. Maybe this is state secret. Maybe this is an education uh, uh, little little something we know that other people don't, that, that that's what happens in the last few days of term. Maybe the government are blissfully unaware and they think that we sit doing exams and teaching knowledge right up until the last minute. I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe that is the expectation of your school. I just know I've been teaching a long, long time and I would hand on heart say the last few days of the Christmas term as also the last few days of the summer term are always a bit of a write-off. So that's why I'm proposing that we, we should have shut the schools a bit earlier just to give us a little buffer zone. And I'm not alone in this. I've seen lots of stuff on Twitter uh, with people saying about should we not have had a little buffer there, an extra few days just to prevent uh, the explosion of cases because we do know they do go up uh, when kids are in school and they do go down when we break up. That is a fact. So those are the two things. Now, just a little heads up for later while you're thinking about those topics. Um, and I'll put them in the chat in a moment in case you're just joining me. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, what we are going to talk about later on the show, is metacognition self-regulation. Now, I know this is a bit of a, maybe a bit of a heavy topic for Christmas, but um, I've got a fantastic guest all the way from uh, Australia who is going to join me later um, live from Australia. He's actually going to get up at four in the morning, their time, I think it is, um, to join us at five o'clock UK time. Um, I did offer to pre-record it to, for my guest. Uh, his name is Cheyenne Barr, um, Dr. Cheyenne Barr. Um, but he said, no, no, he's, he's, uh, he's up early doing things, so he's happy to call in early. So thank you. I'll say that now to Cheyenne for joining me live at five. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be discussing with him later. So that's just a bit of a, a heads up. We're going to be talking about metacognition, self-regulation, um, why it's so important, why it's uh, you know a big deal, um, and why obviously the EF see it as a big deal, and why we all know it's a seems to be a very proven, effective method. But we also know a lot of people don't really know what it is. A lot of people, a lot of teachers, a lot of schools don't really know how to best um, use metacognition or self-regulation. It's a, a really cool buzzword, isn't it? Um, a bit like retrieval practice is a buzzword, but actually we know what that means. Metacognition and self-regulation, I've been to many meetings where some people actually don't know what it actually means. So that would be a good starter as well, wouldn't it, for the discussion? What is metacognition to you? Uh, don't look it up in a dictionary. What, what do you think that actually means in real terms for teachers? So that's a heads up for later, um, around five-ish or just before, I'll be joined by Dr. Cheyenne Barr. And we're going to have a, he's done loads of research into this um, for a project that he's doing in Canberra. At University of Canberra. So he's going to tell me what his thoughts are and I'm going to pick his brains and try and get some ideas for what teachers could actually do to do it effectively. But before that, we are going to be going to shelve that. That's coming up a bit later on the show. Before that, we're going to keep it quite Christmassy and then we're going to go a little bit more serious as we go later on. So one, my questions are to you today, listeners, what are you doing about Christmas productions? Uh, are you shelving them totally? Are you still going ahead with them? Uh, carol services or nativities or whatever you're doing or are you doing a kind of hybrid online uh, live broadcast of your christmas show of your uh, little students uh, singing away and doing all their christmas uh, productions are you doing that streaming it live 
or making some sort of film that's going to be uploaded. I know there's lots of ways around it. I'm just interested to see what people are doing. So let me know, get in touch, text me or call in through the Podbean app. Um, you can also obviously listen on the website, but I'm sure if you're listening to me, you already know that. Um, so yeah, so call in or let me know. Uh, secondly, the other debate I'm having with my listeners today and with you guys is should we close early? I know we can't actually do anything. We're not going to start a petition, but potentially could we have closed tomorrow and just given ourselves a bit of a buffer of um, time to allow those infection rates to not surge when we all know the last few days of term are usually quite hectic and how much learning actually takes place um, is debatable. So lots and lots to jam in today to the show. Um, also, another thing I'm going to throw out there, which I'd like to do, which I've just popped on Twitter. So if you're following me, it's at Tripitaka74. Or if you're following a, a TT radio, uh, Teacher Talk Radio on our Twitter, uh, we have now got over 10,000 followers. So that is awesome. Absolutely awesome. Um, and we were we were really hoping that would happen. Uh, Mal saying woohoo, and I agree. Um, absolutely phenomenal. Considering as a, as a station, as a as an entity, at Teacher Talk Radio, we really have only been going since well January, February time. Um, I joined the team in March ish. Um, so yeah, that is absolutely phenomenal. So thank you to everyone, all our listeners, all our followers. Ten k, we've completed it. Um, doesn't mean we want to stop. There's plenty more people we want to get involved. So please spread the word. And I was hoping that the 10,000th follower would, would, it would happen today on my show and I would get the kudos, but unfortunately it happened, uh, just yesterday. Um, so I didn't quite get it, got it on my show, but if you are that person, I can't remember their name, well done to you. And you've got a lovely teacher talk radio mug coming to you in the post. Um, as would anyone that calls in today. So if you call in, uh, yes, Nathan got the glory. So that was on Nathan's show uh, yesterday. Nathan, uh, well done to you for getting that. Um, lots of retweeting of that. Um, but yeah, so you would, you can get a mug. Don't, don't be disheartened. Don't be sitting there waiting for the 20,000 follower competition because that could be a while. Um, if you're upset, then just call in. Click the call in button on the Podbean. Get in touch. Join me today in the studio live. Tell me your thoughts on either Christmas, uh, either on metacognition or just anything you want. It's an open forum. Uh, just call in and let me know where you are, what you're doing, what you teach. And let's get conversation started. And then you will also get a mug. We've got plenty of mugs to send out, but you do need to call in to get one. So we're going to have a quick, a very, very quick short ad break. Um, and then we will get stuck into uh, some other Christmas Christmassy ideas that I've had for the show today. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Good, thank you for that. I'm just sending a little uh, message out to everyone. 
um, about what you're doing for uh, the Christmas production. So what I mean by that is what is your school doing uh, in order um, to facilitate it? So what are you doing for your school production, your school nativity, Christmas carol service, um, celebration? Um, there is an important role to those those shows, which is obviously a, a, there's a religious element to them as well. So I suppose it does depend if you're teaching a, a faith school or you're teaching a, a different type of school. But in terms of a, a Christmas concert, there is pretty much, in my opinion, usually some form of um, celebration, even if that's just a, um, a nice assembly to give rewards out to children. Um, a box of chocolates and things like that. But what I want to know is, you know, how has COVID put the, um, has, has that scuppered that? Have you had to stop it? It's very frustrating as a drama teacher if you spend a long time working on a production or a show uh, only to then have it pulled. And um, that's obviously happened a lot in the last two years. Um, I know my own kids nearly two years ago were, were, while my son was just about to finish primary school and he was supposed to be in a production of The Wizard of Oz. And that got cancelled because of COVID in the first wave. Um, and as I said, my daughter was supposed to be in the nativity and that's got cancelled. So it is really, really gutting. I, I do know the reasons. I understand the reasons for it. Um, and we've obviously got to be belt and braces about all of this because it's it's people's lives. But it is so, so upsetting when you've put so much work in, which I know drama teachers and music and uh, dance teams that performing arts groups, um, department sorry that i know that the amount of work that goes into it and for the kids the amount of rehearsals they do learning lines learning songs uh only for that just to be killed at the last minute but i'm hoping that isn't the case i'm hoping that schools are still doing them so let me know get in touch send me a text on the message on the chat or call in what is your school doing uh with the christmas show is it totally cancelled is it partly going ahead has it been and one school I know they're doing it, they're doing it, but they're doing it during the day and it's been um, shown to the lower years. So it's still all that work still gets to be celebrated. Are you doing a streamed version, an online version? Is it going to be recorded anyway using technology um, to get it out there? So let, let's find that out. In addition, um, if um, if you have also got an opinion on this, I'd be interested to know, should we have closed early or not? Um, so whether or not we should have closed tomorrow across the country uh, to allow a little bit of a buffer zone um, to happen for the cases to stop them rising when we all know the last week of terms or the last few days certainly are a bit of a write-off. But anyway, you may disagree with that. You may think, no, we shouldn't take any more time away from these kids and we should keep going right to the bitter end. Um, but let me know if, if you agree or disagree. Right, I did say before the ad break, there is another Christmassy um thing that I want to do today. So when I was preparing for today, because it's my last show of uh, 2021, um, we'll be glad to see the back of 2021. Uh, one uh, is the last show that I'm doing before Christmas, before next year. I'm not on next week. So I thought I can excuse um, myself from doing a Christmassy kind of topic, which is nothing really to do with teaching. So I think we've got to keep it light. It is the drive home show. If you are driving home now, or even if you're still at work, or you're listening in on the radio, uh, I know we've had a lot of new followers over the last few weeks, um, so you may well be tuning in for the first time. Um, we are going to try and keep it a little bit light, um, because you may well be feeling really tired and a bit fed up, and it's dark already here in London. Well, it's dark everywhere in the UK, not just London. Um, no, I'm not eating crisps, Mal. 
I don't know why you think I'm eating crisps. That's either me rustling around or my son is eating crisps about three rooms away. I can't believe you can hear him through the walls, but maybe maybe my, my microphone is that good. I'm not eating crisps. Um, sorry, Mel just likes to um, put a spanner in the works on my uh, on my show. Uh, so my what I was going to say Christmas-wise, this is my little, just indulge me now. This is nothing near, really to do with teaching, but it's just to, to keep it a little bit light um, whilst we've got those other heavier topics that I mentioned. So this is what I want you to think about. I want you to have a little think, and I do love a list. Um, I do love a top five. Uh, so top five things you love about the Christmas period. So not necessarily Christmas Day. Um, the Christmas period, when we're off and we're all, and we're all with family and friends, etc. There's obviously loads of things people get excited about Christmas, depending, you know, how old you are. But really, um, you know, it might be the elf on the shelf, for example, if you're eight years old. Um, but well, I'm hoping, well, presuming that not many, many of my listeners are excited about the elf on the shelf. But maybe you are. Maybe you're a parent who loves spending every night coming up with new and intriguing things to do. I know I've done it for a couple of years. It was good fun, but blimey, is it tiring. Really, really taxing, especially if you're a teacher and you've been working, thinking all day, and then you have to come home and come up. Mal says she loves it. I don't know if she means Elf on the Shelf or Christmas in general, but it is it is fun, But and some of them are really good for making your kids laugh um, or, or get, oh, she does mean the Elf on the Shelf. Um, but they're just they're hard work. When you've done how many years I did three years of it so I must have come up with near on 80 ideas um and it does get difficult I mean I know you can go online and cheat but I always wanted to be original so I come up with some really me me and my partner came up with a lot of really good ideas um anyway we digress so top five things you love about Christmas so what I thought was I'll do my five and then you can either call in um and you can do it like that or you can just pop it on the text on the message on the chat function uh, and then I will read them out um your top fives I'll read them out and we'll get a bit of discussion going about that um Matt was saying the elf can't come out too early well no surely it has to come out on the first of the month doesn't it maybe maybe you don't do it like that I always did it on the first he always arrived on the first of December like an advent calendar and disappeared to much tears on on Christmas day in fact one year my daughter was so upset that he'd gone she was more upset about that and when she had all the presents to open. So that goes to show it can backfire. Um, but he went away, didn't he? He went away back to wherever he goes on Christmas Day. And, um, yeah, she was very upset. Right, anyway, so I'll give you my top five. Now, I haven't really ranked them. I suppose I should have done, shouldn't I? Let me just have a look now. Can I rank them? Um, oh, Well, I'll tell you what. I'll, sell, I'll tell you the five anyway. If you want to rank yours, you can, if you just want to say your top five. Because there are so many different things about Christmas that you could literally come up with loads. So these are mine, and uh, feel free to join in. Um, number one is uh, food-based. So anyone who knows me know that, knows that I'm obsessed with food. It's food-based. So the fact that pigs in blankets, which I absolutely love, um, I can have them any time of the year, can't I? Don't have to have them at Christmas. For some reason, don't ever think to do it so food pigs in blankets cold turkey sandwiches made mayonnaise um is always a good one for me um so all the even brussels sprouts i know they a lot of people hate them and there's a lot of you know uh, sort of fear attached to them and people say all oh, sprouts 
I quite like Brussels sprouts, probably because I only have them once a year. Uh, so food is my number one. Um, and then, oh, what's Mal saying now? Mal saying our elf will arrive next week and leaves after Boxing Day. Well, that's one way of doing it, Mal. That's then you've only got to do a week or so. I do the whole month, every single day of December. Maybe that's why I'm going wrong. Anyway, let's um, we'll see if anyone else disagrees. How do you do elf on the shelf if you do it? Um, you might not. You might not have a clue what I'm talking about. Um, if you're in another country, you might be thinking, what are these crazy English people talking about? Well, I, I would suggest you Google it because I haven't got time now to go into what on earth the elf on the shelf. It's probably an American thing, I expect, that's come over here and um, come into our culture. I don't actually know. Right, so my top five. Number one is food. Number two is drinks. <laughs> which is kind of related, but it's not. So what I mean by that is the fact that it is acceptable to drink an alcoholic drink at seven o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning on Christmas Day, whereas other days that would be frowned upon. Um, I also like the fact that there are certain drinks like Baileys um, and what's the other one? Snowballs. What's that? Advocar, the egg drink. These drinks never come out. Drambuie. They, I mean, you might not be an alcohol, a drinker of alcohol. I understand that. But if you are... There are certain stones, ginger wine. There are certain drinks that you only ever see at Christmas. You literally don't see them at any other time of the year. So I, that's a traditional thing. And yes, you can buy them, but I, I always associate Christmas with those kind of, those nice sort of drinks. Not sherry. I'm not that old, um, but I do like, um, I do like a Christmas drink. So food and drink. That's those two out the way. Now the next three are a little bit more personal to me. Number three is I like the fact that as an older gentleman, um, not going into my age now, but as a father, let's say, um, I always get socks and sometimes I might get slippers. And although these are things that I would have probably turned my nose at, up at in my early 20s, they are things that I can never have enough too many of. So the fact that I know at Christmas I may get a dressing gown, I may get slippers, I may get some nice snuggly thick socks you know those ones totes toasties whatever they're called when you get the nice little um uh what do you call it? little pads on the bottom that keep your feet really warm um yeah those those are lovely so i would say number three for me is presents related to a warmth or snuggling uh hot water bottles things like that any present that, it may seem lame and if you and if you are sitting there struggling thinking what should i get for my dad or my granddad or um, it could be for your mum, it doesn't have to be male, but certainly, they, again, they seem like lame presents, socks, uh, but they literally are not. I remember one year I never got any and I went mad uh, because I didn't get any socks and everyone was like, oh, it's a bit boring, you don't want them every year. And I was like, I absolutely do. Um, so that's um, a bit of insight into my world. Right, Mal has texted or messaged her top five, which is great. So I'm going to read Mal's out in a minute. If you are listening, so I know we've got quite a few listeners today. I know Tom's there. I know um, Ian's there. Um, if you are listening to Teacher Talk Radio, th this is a teacher's um, radio station in case you're worrying. Um, but we're just keeping it a little bit light for the next 10 minutes or so. And then we're going to get stuck into some stuff uh, about metacognition and self-regulation. But in the meantime, I'm going a bit Christmassy. So Mal sent me her top five things about Christmas. I'm going to continue mine. Uh, then I'll give you mouths and hopefully some other people's as well. So um, number one was food. Number two is drink. Number three was uh, snuggly clothes and things like for my feet. Number four, 
Now, this is a bit of a weird one, but I, I do think I, I had to think about this and I thought I do like this. I do like lights on trees and lights on houses. I don't really put them on my own because um, I find them a little bit too over the top and a bit American again. But actually, when I'm driving down the road, especially now it's dark, seeing houses with all, with, well, I'm talking, I'm not talking tacky, I'm not talking overkill, but some nice, you know, just some nice white lights and some nice candles. All of that kind of stuff. Lights on the trees. I love the, the lights. I don't really like Christmas trees that much, but I do, or baubles actually, but I do like the lights, the Christmas lights. So something really nice about that, uh, particularly white Christmas lights. Um, Mal is making a point, am I anti-American? No, I'm not anti-American. I know I should, that's a good point, Mal. We've probably got lots of American uh, listeners. I know I had a caller from Florida a few weeks back. Um, I'm not anti-American, but I just do think we have to remember that there's a lot of cultural things in this country that are uh, that come across from America, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but sometimes there are certain traditions which I find I don't like as much. Um, but anyway, let's not go there because that could get controversial. I'm sorry to any Americans that are listening. I, I wasn't trying to be uh, offensive. Right, so number four. So that's my fourth one. And my last one, unsurprisingly, is actually giving presents. So Yes, I do love a present. I'll be honest with you. I've just talked about how I love socks. Um, but I have to admit, and this is cheesy, I know, but it is so true that the actual spirit of Christmas and giving people stuff and buying a present, not just for my kids, but for my mum, for my relatives, uh, friends, getting a present that you're super excited about because you're like, oh, yeah, they, they, they really want that. Or something really personal that you think, oh, they, they're going to love this. I think you can't beat that. The, the feeling you get when someone opens a present and they're chuffed. Um, it's not quite the same with kids because often nowadays they kind of make a list or they say, oh, they want this, they want that. And then they get it and they go, oh, good, I got what I wanted. So that's a little bit dark for me. But anyway, um, yeah, so those are my top five. So I'm going to stop talking about me now. And I'm going to hope that other listeners that are joining me today on this uh, wintry, cold, dark Thursday, as everyone is on their knees in school, uh, dragging themselves over the line. Uh, remember, tomorrow is Friday, so you know, keep going one more day, and then you've got one more weekend uh, before the last few days. Um, I'm going to now read out Mal. So Mal's um, art, she says, number one, seeing my kids' excitement. So that might not just be uh, about the presence, that just might just be her children's excitement about the whole thing, which again, I think that's a really good one. Number two, hanging out with friends. Yes, Mal, I can see that, although... I could, you could say you can do that anytime. Why? It's not just specific to Christmas, but I guess what you're, you're saying is it's nice that you have the time to do that. Um, food, she said, and drinks. So those are two common ones. Uh, Bailey, she's put in there. Um, and number five, I actually get what I want now. Interesting. So what do you mean by that, Mal? Do you mean that you, as compared to a child, you actually now tell people to tell you exactly what to get? So can you enlighten us there? Uh, Mal says, I'm over the moon when I get thick socks. And flannel PJs. Yes, I totally agree. Those are excellent presents. She's saying she wants socks and PJs. I'm throwing it out there to anyone who wants to send me a Christmas present. You're more than welcome. I can't give you my address. Um, but, you know, you can send it to Teachers Talk Radio Towers, uh, wherever that is. Um, it doesn't exist, by the way. Uh, so, yeah, I'm only joking. Um, yes, I would love those. And hopefully some people listening who may be related to me or know me will we'll get the hint. Um, or they may listen to it on Spotify. Remember, you can always download the shows after on Spotify um, or the listen back function on the website. 
if you've missed the beginning of this scintillatingly um, academic and controversial show today about Christmas. So um, that's that. We'll we'll park that now unless we get any more people um, that message in. So we'll keep that going. I'm going to just put a little text there um, so that people who join us late will get it. Um, what are the top five things? Sorry, I'm reading this out. It's very annoying to you listening. You love about... I got a new teacher today. I got a teacher at my school to... Um, I told her about my show. She didn't know anything about it. And she was listening... She'd gone back and listened to about five episodes, which I thought was really sweet of her to do that. So, Hannah, if you are listening now um, live on the way home, thank you for doing that. And um, thanks for keep supporting Teacher Talk Radio. And I hope you're enjoying today's show. So um, it's coming up to what well, it's actually just gone half past four. Um, we are talking about some type of uh, Christmassy things at the moment. Uh, we're talking about your top five. We're also talking about what your school's done regarding the Christmas production. Have you had to cancel it? Is it still going ahead or has it been reduced to a kind of diet Christmas show in a kind of uh, minimised way where you're only doing some of it to lower years or you're doing an online version? So let me know. Send me a text or or call in. It's even better. Uh, What are you doing? How has Christmas, oh, sorry, how has COVID affected your Christmas production plans? Number two, I was talking earlier about should we close early? So obviously Boris is not going to do this now. He's put the new measures in, but there's nothing about schools closing. So that's not going to happen, is it? So should we soldier on for another week? Should we carry on in those last few days where learning probably gets to a low point um, because we prioritise it's more of the fun, fun starts, starts and parts of being in school, which is all very well. I'm, I'm, I'm totally for that, of course. Um, but really, during a pandemic, should we not just say go home early? Um, that's a debate we can have. Um, that's my opinion. And you may disagree, but feel free to join the conversation on that one. And you can always join the conversation on Twitter, of course, uh, TT Radio 21, uh, 2021. You can also uh, message us on the Podbean app so um that's it that's my top five pigs in blankets and food alcoholic drinks snuggly socks lights on trees and giving presents that's my five do you agree or disagree right so mal's been frantically messaging me today um and if you are listening in um please don't be shy call in or send a message um this is supposed to be an interactive show Uh, It's not the Seb monologue show, which sometimes what it turns out to be. Um, Maybe, maybe people are are just a bit flat out today. Maybe everybody's tired and they just, they're just, if you're listening, I'm happy with that. As long as you're enjoying it, let me know. Right. So what is coming up? Obviously we'll have a news break um, in a little while. And then after the news, I'm going to be joined by Cheyenne Barr, Dr. Cheyenne Barr, who is um, a professor uh, in Australia. He's not very old, actually. He's much younger than me. Um, a lovely gentleman. Uh, and he used to work with me years and years and years ago, uh, a school in Essex. Um, he used to work with me and he left, went back to Australia. Um, and yeah, and he obviously he's carried on his career and I haven't really been in touch with him, to be honest. He wasn't a very close friend. Um, but yeah, I, he, he searched, he got in touch with me through the Twitter. The Twitter, Twitter is an amazing thing, isn't it? Um, and he got in touch with me, uh, because he heard about the show and he said, could he be on? And he wanted to talk about 
what he's been up to. And I said, let me know. And when I found out what he's been doing, it is fascinating. So I was super, super keen to get um, to get Shyam on the show um, because he's got some fantastic knowledge and research that he's been doing at Canberra University um, in Oz about metacognition and self-regulation. So we are going to be moving into talking about that now and leaving the Christmassy stuff on the side. But again, please don't feel you can't send me a message about your top five at any point. I'm disappointed that Tom hasn't done that. Tom, if you are there, please tell me your top five things you love about Christmas. Um, number one's probably drinking more Diet Coke, isn't it? Um, right, so let's get down to brass tacks, shall we? Number one, if you are listening, maybe you're a, you're a trainee or an ECT and you don't really know what I'm going on about, or maybe you're a teacher that's been teaching a while and still doesn't really know what we mean by metacognition self-regulation, I'll give you a, uh, a definition, um, and this is from the EEF website, actually. It says, metacognitive regulation is about planning how to undertake a task, working on it while monitoring the strategy to check progress, then evaluating the overall success. So that is obviously one strand of it. Um, but obviously what we're talking about is learning, which is your cognition, and the metacognition is the knowledge of yourself and how you learn. So when we talk about this in terms of schools and metacognition and self-regulation kind of go hand in hand, is the EF, um, the Education Endowment Fund, obviously published their um, research into what makes effective teaching. And one of the sort of big four things that they say, as well as uh, feedback, peer tuition, um, is is about this, is about uh, metacognition and self-regulation and how it's low cost, well, minimal cost, and it doesn't cost you anything to do it, um, but is high impact. So those are the kind of golden golden eggs, aren't they, for teachers and for leaders, that we want things in school that improve outcomes um, at very li little uh, effort or cost. So actually... You getting making your school become more metacognitive, helping your students become more metacognitive is not necessarily effort free. It, it's going to take you a lot of effort. And that's what I'm going to discuss in a moment with, with Cheyenne, how you actually do it. But it is zero cost. It's not, you know, it's not it's not something you have to buy in. It's not something like a TA or anything like that that's going to cost you a lot of a, a lot of money. This is something that you can do relatively for free. So. My experience of it is that I know, I didn't know what it was when I started teaching, never heard of it 15 years ago. Uh, then probably about five, six years ago, I sort of came onto my radar, started becoming a bit popular, um, working with um, my friend Ian, and he was, he was much more, much better with the pedagogy books than I was then. Um, I feel like now I'm much more on it. But back in those days when I was ahead of drama, I wasn't really as au fait with the pedagogy and the recent research. So he introduced me to the, the, this idea of metacognition and self-regulation. I've also been on a few courses on it since then. And, and I've also led, um, as an assistant head, I've led projects to improve that. So one thing we did, for example, was looking at independence in general and trying to get kids to be more independent uh, with their learning. And that doesn't mean that's it. That's all metacognition is. It isn't really, but that's part of it. And then being able to be independent, uh, for example, looking at their target grades, looking at their uh, where their feedback from their teachers, what they need to improve on, and coming up with strategies so that next time they know 
why they lost marks. And it could just be that they know they lost marks uh, because they didn't revise. Or maybe they did revise and their revision wasn't effective. But ultimately, it's about their individual journey regulating themselves as to what works, what doesn't work, knowing themselves, um, because we're not going to start talking about wacky learning styles. um, They're in the bin. But we we do still know that every single person learns. We all learn in a similar way, of course. That's what the research will tell you about memory and um, cognitive load, etc. But we are all individuals still, and we all have our our techniques. We all have our ways that we learn. Um, I know, for example, I learn a lot from actually, if I'm in a meeting or or on a course, I learn a lot from actually talking, putting my hand up uh, and asking questions. And I didn't didn't know that for a while. And and I realized that a few years back, I I thought, why do I always, why do I always put my hand up? Um, And it isn't because I like the sound of my own voice, although you might think that. It is because I think, for me, I have to kind of validate. Sometimes I ask a question, I kind of know the answer, but it's almost a validation of, right, am I right here? Shall I just, shall I question this this person to see if I'm right? And now other people don't. Other people sit in total silence. Some people like to make loads of notes when they're listening. I don't understand that. I, I can't see the point of doing that because I can't multitask. But you might be the sort of learner that is out there. And when I talk about learners, I'm not just talking about kids. I'm talking about lifelong learners, as we all are as teachers. You might learn from listening and making notes and then going back over those notes or making a mind map or whatever it is. So really what we're talking about is metacognition in terms of knowing about how you learn, but from a personal point of view, and then actually doing something about it in terms of moving forward. So how do you regulate yourself? How do you know what your common mistakes are? Of course, that all goes hand in hand with feedback, which is another of the EF's big four. But ultimately, what we're talking about is, as teachers, what we should be doing is encouraging this as much as possible. Now, this is where it starts getting complicated because, and please, please feel free to join in. Message me or call in if, you, if, you, if you've got something to say on metacognition, whether that's you don't know what it is and you're like, what are you going on about? Or whether you are an expert in it or whether you're just a teacher, a teacher that normally teaches that's had some experience of this and tried it a bit and some things work or don't, let me know. Because all we want to do on Teacher Talk Radio is support each other and give help. And actually, my friend Hannah that I mentioned earlier, she said one of the things she loved about the shows that she's listened to as a, as a kind of relatively new teacher is she said, Seb, this is like CPD. And I guess that is what we're there for as well. So we're there to keep you entertained, uh, keep you um, enjoying listening in. Um, but also, it is a form of CPD. You could put it down, couldn't you, on your uh, on your record as something that you do to help improve yourself, I would hope. Anyway, where have I gone now? I've gone really off track. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Metacognition, how do we actually do it with students? How do we encourage it? Um how do we get them to think metacognitively? How do we get them to self-regulate? Now, a lot of that is to do with independence and, and letting go and giving them the tools. Um, a lot of it is to do with training. I don't think you can literally just say to kids, right, come on, here's some feedback, learn, learn better next time. It's not as simple as that. Um, so there is, it needs time. A lot of it is habit changing. So as a teacher, you have to change your habits to help the students think in that way rather than just giving them the answers or when they struggle telling them oh yeah you always 
getting them to question why, what went wrong, what could I do better next time, how do I need to improve, what are my blockers, um, where are the topic areas I'm not so sure about, and what would I need to do to do better next time. Um, so what I would say to, to people listening with this is that there's a couple of ways you can do it. You may be at a school where um, it's done discreetly and you may have what we used to call like learn to learn or lessons um, in our other assemblies. Or you may be lucky enough to have some curriculum time where you um, give students bespoke lessons on just metacognition and, and what it is. Now, that may not be the case in a lot of schools. So if you don't do that, is it that you put it into your curriculums and how do you work with your subject teachers and your heads of department to do that? Is it just a little tick box thing or make sure students check their work and, and write a target for themselves? I guess that would be working towards metacognition and self-regulation, but it's not really pure in the sense of them getting good at it. I think you start with that. You start with getting kids to learn about how they respond to feedback how to learn, how to not make mistakes, how to learn from their mistakes, sorry, not not make mistakes, stupid thing to say, uh, how to learn from their mistakes. And then over time, you move more towards uh, self-regulation in the sense that teachers not doing it and the students themselves are going, yeah, actually, I know now that when this happens, I have to do X or Y. Now, that is the kind of the, uh, the, the sort of the, the golden nugget that you want. Um, that's the, what you're aiming for. But that could take one, two, three years. And that's where, again, it comes down to your school. Uh, it comes down to your leadership team. It comes down to your teaching and learning leads. Uh, how do you get that that disseminated? Is it something that you just you can't just do it from uh, making sure people do it and compliance? It's got to be something that teachers buy into. It's got to be worthwhile. And the kids have got to actually do it and get something out of it. So I'm fascinated by this. I think it's such an important topic. I think it's well proven uh, with all the on, online with the EEF and loads of other people will tell you, um, academics will say that it is a big deal. And my guest, Shyam, who's coming on in a little while, he will confirm this hopefully from his research. But what we want to know is how, um, what I want you to tell me is, you know, is this still going on in schools? Is it a big deal or, or is it something you don't do? And if you do do it, how do you make it successful? So um, I also found... I'm just looking at my iPad over here. I also found um, some more information about this just to fill in some more gaps. Um, yeah, so there, there, was, um, there was a report that my guest Shyam sent to me. Um, and in that, it talks a lot about different things. For example, developing uh, lifelong learning in the 21st century. So that's part of it. Um, giving students time to engage in independent learning and practicing those skills. Students learning how they can manage their cognition better so they know how learning happens in the brain. So you've got all of that kind of, uh, you could do this as discrete lessons, couldn't you? Teaching students how the brain works and how the memory, multi the multi-store model and short-term memory, long-term, all of that kind of neuroscience um, is also part of it because they need to know how they encode, encode memories. Um, how they build a successful database in their mind, I suppose, of strategies and that they are explicit so that they know, right, that's an explicit strategy I need to use rather than just a vague work harder next time. Um, and also it's important that students need time and support to reflect. 
because metacognition and self-regulation, a big part of it is reflection uh, and, and looking back. Um, they've got to be motivating the students to know um, that this is going to help them and regulating also negative emotions. So it's not just about, um, you know, doing things to move forward. It's about regulating negative emotions and blockers so that you're, I think it's like growth mindset, isn't it? Um, you know, that which Carol Dweck kind of, you know, that came big, became a big thing five, six years ago. But it's all linked to that as well about how you have a mindset of, okay, I did that wrong. I need to be honest with myself. What can I do better? How do I learn? So it's a, it's a complicated old one, this one. It's not one we can easily just um, give you a soundbite to send you on your Merry Christmas way. But certainly, I know it's um, coming up to Christmas and we're all tired, but I still do think this is one that is, um, is definitely really, really important. So what I'm going to do now is um, nearly 10 to 5. I'm hoping Shyam's going to join me around 5 o'clock our time, but that is technically 4 a.m. I think in Australia. So he's probably just having his breakfast. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a quick news break. And we've also got our tech briefing um, on that as well. And then hopefully by then uh, we'll be able to uh, speak with Shyam. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Ofsted have highlighted the worrying fact that lockdown has resulted in significantly lower levels of social care referrals. According to Robert Halfin, Chairman of the Commons Education Committee, 100,000 ghost children failed to return to school following last year's closures and were at risk of abuse. The Ofsted report states that nearly all children have fallen behind in their education due to COVID-19 and emphasises the importance of attendance for the education and welfare of pupils. Chief Inspector Amanda Spielman called for a proper register of children who aren't attending school. She said there's a whole range of reasons why people are in that category and I don't believe that we really know who those children are, where they're being educated and who's taking responsibility for it. What's worrying is that we simply don't have a handle we don't really know who's in that list of children who are particularly vulnerable to abuse and neglect. A report written by 40 academics called The Child of the North has drawn attention to huge inequalities between children who grow up in the north of England and the rest of the country. The report has set out 18 recommendations to tackle the problem, including more investment in welfare, health and social care systems, and increasing child benefits by £10 per child. A Department for Education spokesperson said, Our ambitious recovery plan continues to roll out across the country, with £5 billion invested in high-quality tutoring, world-class training for teachers and early years practitioners, additional funding for schools and extending time in colleges by 40 hours a year. We are supporting the most disadvantaged, vulnerable or those with the least time left in education, wherever they live, to make up for learning lost during the pandemic. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glynn. 
This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, I'm Steve Woods and this is Two Minute Tech. Shortcuts are key combinations that allow tasks to be performed faster. You may be familiar with Ctrl-C for copy and V for paste. Here's one that may just change your life. Did you know there's a shortcut for bookmarking a web page? When browsing the internet, you can quickly bookmark a page by holding down Ctrl and pressing D. If on a Mac, it's Command and D. Once you press this key combination, you're presented with the option to save the page into your bookmarks. Now, that might not be the most earth-shattering revelation in your use of tech, but let's add a little more to the mix with an additional three-key combination. Hold Ctrl, Shift and press B. You can also now show and hide your bookmarks bar. On this bar, you can park your most common bookmarks. Again, on a Mac, replace Control with the Command key, Command, Shift and B. The bookmarks bar can speed things up and you can arrange about 10 bookmarks by dragging them around. Now, let's apply this to teaching and improving efficiency. Do you use multiple websites in different lessons and spend time opening them individually? Is your bookmarks bar cluttered or do you drop hyperlinks into your presentations and then wait for them to open? Wouldn't it be great? if you can open all your web pages in just a couple of clicks. Well, you can. When creating a bookmark, there's an option to make a folder. So while researching a lesson or topic, you can save bookmarks into one place using the wonderful Control-D. Here's the magic. If you right-click a folder and select Open All, guess what? All bookmarks in that folder open and new tabs ready for your lesson. So when you're planning, use Control-D and make a new folder. When you want them, all sites can almost instantly be on your screen and ready to go. Those shortcuts again. Control D to bookmark, Shift Control B for the bookmarks bar, and right click Open All to open all bookmarks in a folder. If on a Mac, replace Control with Command. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from London. This is The Drive Home with Seb Ventura on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, it's just coming up to five o'clock uh, with me, Seb, on The Drive Home. Today we're talking about metacognition and self-regulation. Yeah, those big staples of the Christmas period. Get in touch, let me know. What do you know about it and what do you want to tell me about it? Get in touch as usual, join me on the show through the Podbean or on the Twitter or through our website at ttradio.org. Live from London, this is The Drive Home with Seb Ventura on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag ttradio. Yep, good afternoon to everybody uh, on this Thursday, the 9th of December. So, as I just said there in my little intro, um, we are, for the last part of the show today, discussing metacognition and self-regulation in terms of how we can make it work for students, the benefits of it, and actually how you get teachers to embed that into their practice on a day-to-day basis so that it's not a bolt-on, um, and we're not doing it to impress Ofsted or anything like that. It's actually beneficial for students. So, I'm going to be talking, hopefully, quite soon to Dr. Cheyenne Barr. And Shai is a, um, an ex-colleague of mine. I haven't spoken to him for a very, very long time. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on Shyam, just so you, uh, you know who he is when he calls. Um, he actually, at the moment, is working in multiple schools, primary, secondary and college level. He supports leaders and teachers 
to foster self-regulated learning specifically. He helps educators understand the role of metacognition, uh, how it regulates learning, and also the importance of developing students' strategies. Um, he has also chaired a research symposium of Australian international researchers, um, and he's discussed um, the latest research with them about self-regulated learning. He's also led collaboration with a school in Australia. And in the 2020, he was the winner of the Uni Canberra Big Research Pitch Competition. And he's been awarded lots of uh, awards to do with his research. And so I can hear him there, Shyam. How are you doing? Good morning. Can you hear okay. me, Seb? Yeah, you, yeah, you're talking very quietly because it's first thing in the morning, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is almost. What, what time is it? What time? Four o'clock. Four oh, o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, I'm so, I'm so, so grateful for you joining me at that time. That is literally insane. Not a problem. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. It's absolutely awesome to talk to you. When did you leave uh, Debden? I can't even remember the last time I spoke to you. Yeah, so I, I left Debden in 2008, at the end of, wow. towards the end of 2008. So it must have been about September, maybe, uh, when I left London, actually. So, um, yeah, and that did, was... And did you, when you left Debden, did you, you just went straight back to Australia, did you then? I did a little bit of travelling and then, yeah, and then went back to, to Australia. And I think the plan was to do a little bit more travelling, but I ended up... Um, diving straight into to schools and teaching, isn't it? Yeah, so um, how did you I, – I, we are going to obviously talk about your specialist subject in a moment, but I always like to talk to my guests about their um, journey because we, we get all sorts of different guests on, on the show. Um, so how did you go from just – was it science you taught, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, so science. Yes, I, was, um, I majored in psychology. Um, right. Science, yeah. Yeah, so how did you go from teaching science to here – to now becoming Dr. Barr leading research projects. Can you, can you briefly tell us how that went, came about? Yeah, of course. Uh, so when I left London and I left Devon Park High School, uh, I came back to, so I, I went back to Victoria, which is a state in Australia. Uh, so Melbourne, if, if the listeners are familiar with Melbourne, hopefully. Um, and I took a job at a school, a 1600 student school um, named Frankston High School. Um, and I actually, I took a teaching job there as a science teacher. Uh, and within sort of three months of being at the school, um, as you do, um, I there was a leadership opportunity and so I, I took the job. Um, and it was a leadership role that looked over 1,600 students specifically focusing on literacy and numeracy and students with disabilities was the sort of portfolio at the time. This was back 2009. Yeah. And... Yeah, and so I did that for a couple of years, and that was kind of you know a, a really good introduction to leadership. But I had this found this great foundation in teaching from Devon Park High School, mm -hmm. and um, just by chance, you know, they were going through a, a leadership restructure. So while I was kind of reapplying for my leadership role, um, I thought, oh, you know what, I want to move closer to the city, so I will um, apply elsewhere. And so I ended up taking a job closer to the city, which was um, at a school called Melbourne Girls Grammar, which was an all-girls school, um, 900 students um, from three, four-year-old kinder right through to year 12 and, and again, just kind of had this um, rapid kind of acceleration in leadership. So I, I was the year seven coordinator for a couple of months. I stepped into an acting kind of director of students role where I was um, overseeing years five through eight. And I guess that would be 
perhaps equivalent to a key stage two, key stage three coordinator for you guys. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, that's kind of primary, um, primary and secondary together. Primary yeah, and secondary, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, because that was an acting role and it was just while someone was on parental leave, um, I took over. When it was, sorry, when that person came back, I was promoted to um, kind of, again, a whole school role um, that was all students. And that one was actually a super exciting role. It was... Um, working with a team of educators that was specifically looking at how we could, we used to use the term helping every student maximise their potential. Um, And so it was less about, hey, you know, gifted or talented or um, students who had particular needs. It was about every child, where they're at and how we can help them progress forward. Um, And so we had professional learning projects at the school, you know, similar to action research projects that are so common in schools now. Um, And one of those was a partnership with Flinders University. Uh, It was a partnership where we were doing, um, we had a group of eight staff that were involved with sort of a cognitive psychology um, exploration with Flinders University. Um, And that was kind of, again, a, a little bit of a, a tap on my interest um, in terms of the cognitive psych stuff. So that's when, that was 2014, 2013, 2014, we were on that project. And 2014, I left my job and I thought, (laughs) I'm just going to take some time out. I took 2015 off. My wife and I got married. We traveled to South America um, and I was reading a book. Um, We had a a presentation from a lady named Margie Worrell at the school just before I left and she gave us this book and the book was called Stop Playing Safe. Right. And so I'd had this kind of, you know, I'd been working in education, you know, eight, nine years and I was like, am I, am I playing safe um, with what I'm doing in education because, I, you know, I wanted to have a, a bigger impact on students um, and I just wasn't sure if I was playing safe or not. And so I, it took some time off. Yeah. And during that time, I was doing um, pro bono consultancy work with schools in Bolivia um, where I was running workshops, I was doing coaching with teachers, um, all to help them you know, with their professional learning, CPD, I think yeah. it's, uh, yeah. as you guys call it. Um, and I just, I loved it. And sort of one day I woke up, this was mid-2015, I woke up and I said, you know what, I think today I'm going to call myself a consultant. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's dangerous and, ground, dangerous yeah. ground. And, um, and, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this thing a crack. And so I just, um, when I came back for 2016, I sort of touched base with the schools that I had previously worked with and, um, and the network that I had. And I started doing some consultancy work. And um, at the same time, I was um, doing some what we call sessional teaching at, at, the, at Flinders University um, in this cog psych domain. Um, and that's where the idea of doing a PhD kind of, what, what's um what sessional teaching is that kind of lecturing is that that kind of the same thing it's kind of like casual casual um lecturing and right, right. tutoring so i guess yeah. you know so yeah but it's right. it's casual basis so it was just kind of semester by semester because i was yeah yeah okay uh, yeah and, and, and so, so then you decided to do that yeah so yeah so i started doing that doing my phd and i did that so i was on a scholarship at the university studying my phd and my PhD research, um, so I did. Um, my PhD research ha- was investigating how teachers, teachers thinking about self-regulated learning, um, and the reason I'd become interested in that was because of this work that I'd been doing in schools. 
I had when we were kind of dabbling with the cognitive psychology stuff at yeah. um, at school. I, I sort of I think I originally thought I knew more about you know the psychology of how we were learning. Given I was a psychology teacher, I thought I understood yeah. that reasonably well, and I thought my colleagues did as well. And when we started dabbling with that, I realised how little we knew and how complex the field was. And I was like, okay, maybe this is influencing the way we're teaching. Yeah. And so I was interested to better understand how we were thinking about this field of self-regulated learning and what beliefs we held about it and what our knowledge was about it and whether or not that was influencing our practice. And so that was kind of my PhD. And I wanted to also, because of my, my interest in professional learning, um, I wanted to see if, you know, there was professional learning or structures that, that could be put in place that would support teachers in their thinking, their knowledge, their beliefs about self-regulated learning and, of course, their practice because that was the ultimate kind of aim. Yeah, um, sure. And so that was the PhD journey. And before I'd even finished the PhD journey, um, I was offered this job as an assistant professor of learning sciences at the University of Canberra. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was job very opportunities everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's very unheard of. I, you know, the narrative—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's quite hard apparently to to get um, sort of long-term roles in universities here. Um, I don't right. know if it's the same in the UK, but um, you know, a lot of people tend to be on contracts. And here I was yeah. being offered a, a seven-year, seven-year kind of position uh, without uh, without even finishing my PhD. So I, was, I felt really quite blessed and why do you you think that was do you think that's because it sounds like to me listening to you uh, in terms of your background and and also marrying that with the the last I would say five to ten years of of you know pedagogical development and everything that's come come to the fore uh you know with with memory and with all this cognitive neuroscience it sounds like you were in the right place at the right time because that that's certainly in the UK become a big bigger bigger thing um and you obviously had that expertise. So do you think that this opportunity was because they saw that as this is definitely an area where the teachers can benefit from that? Or, or do you think it was just that you you convinced them? Uh, I think it was both. I think there was a, a need at the university for expertise in educational psychology. They had, they had a dual need. Uh, one was educational right. psychology. Um, and they, they were looking for expertise in that, in that space and and. It's still it's still a shortage at our university in terms of having that background. Um, they also they also needed expertise in science teaching um, because they science um, and having people to train and support pre-service teachers uh, in science teaching they were also having a shortage. And so I was I guess I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. But I also had the right skill set for what they were after. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of both but this is this is another thing as well you know when when people take on those consultancy roles which I kind of have done a little bit as well I'll be honest with you um which you know some of my listeners will know some won't but you know there is there is a kind of stigma attached to it but in actual fact that the the years of teaching and the expertise you have got I I think that it's only right that then the next generation of, of younger trainees coming through you know and how we like you say how we improve as a profession you know, we're not going to just stand still. We're always learning about how students learn and how can we how can run, you know, schools better. Um, so that's fascinating, really, I think, your journey. So can you – let's get a bit into the nitty-gritty then, if you yeah, can, Brian, because I think 
obviously I've, I've tweeted out a lot about the show. Um, hopefully, you know, we've got a few people, quite a few people listening in, which is great. Um, and we will be, um, obviously afterwards, you can download the show as a podcast if you're really interested in metacognition. But what I think we really need to do is now, while you're here and you've got up early especially, is tap, tap you up a bit about um, your, not, not tips and tricks, that that's, would be silly to say that, but what you think are the key things from your research that teachers need to be doing or should be doing more to, to help pupil performance, I guess, in terms of this, um, this area? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I'll give you basically, I've, I've now been sort of researching in this field for multiple years, right. and there is a kind of consensus in the research literature, so, you know, studies that have explored um, how we can teach self-regulated learning in the classroom, and there's, there's kind of clear agreement about the approach that we can take. And one is that um, we can create a classroom environment, so very much a constructivist style of environment that allows for um, student autonomy and, you know, collaborative work, operative learning um, and opportunities for students to transfer learning between subjects. So that's the environmental aspect. Right. And, yeah. And then, and then there's the, the kind of teaching aspect. So outside of the environment in that what we do as teachers in the classroom um, and the most common approach is, and you would have seen this in the you know, EF, uh, the Education yeah. Endowment Foundation yeah. stuff, is that we can teach strategies. And so when I, when I realized that, I was like, oh, okay, this has all been done. You know, this is yeah. very clear. It's very clear. This is what we have to do. It's in the research. It's in the, the public documents. Um, but why aren't we doing it? So, you know, I looked at observational yeah. studies and there's quite a number of observational studies where videos have been recorded of classrooms um, and recorded how teachers teach and how, many, how much time they dedicate to this stuff. And it's very low. It's is that, very is low. That in, sorry to interrupt you. Is that in Australia or is that, is that global, those videos it's, you're talking about? It's global. So some of my right. studies have been Australian-based, but there is um, – some German researchers who are doing it, um, who have done um, observational studies and even um, meta-analyses, et cetera, et cetera, in the European context. Um, and both kind of most of those observational studies, actually all of those observational studies that I've read, uh, have all reported very low numbers of minutes of dedicated time to yeah. this strategy instruction in classrooms. So for me, it was like, well, why? <laughs> What's going yeah. on here? And yeah. so that was that was kind of my entry point. So the like I said, the research is very clear. So we can explicitly teach this stuff. And it's listed in the documents. I don't know if it's as clear as it should be in all those public documents. Yeah. Um, one one approach that I teach um the teachers that I work with uh is an approach I've started called calling the the Nemo Nemo approach, um, which is so N for name, yeah. E for explain, M for model, O for opportunity, opportunity for the students to practice. Oh, so name, that's cool. Say that again. Model. So na name? Name, explain, sorry, model, opportunity. Right. So what, it's the, the NEMA, NEMA, NEMA approach. Right. So talk yeah. us through that then. Talk us through what that is. And so that's just kind of a frame, you know, super simple framework. It's just like a prompt for us as teachers to think about, okay, if we're going to teach a strategy, these are the steps that I should be, be doing. And so, for example, um, a metacognitive strategy that I often teach the work of the teachers I work with is a self-recording 
strategy. Right. And so self-recording is, uh, is the act of a student. Um, you know, they might record a certain behaviour of a certain period of time. Um, and, you know, these days um, students are struggling with sort of focusing their attention. And so I'll give them a, a little post-it note, a little piece of paper. Uh, I'll give them a pen and I'll say, right, guys, today I'm going to teach you this little strategy, this little self-recording strategy, and I'm going to call it the self-recording strategy just for ease. Mm. And this is how it works. You know, you've got your pen, you've got your piece of paper, and every time you recognise that you're, you, you've drifted off, that's okay. The minute you recognise, I just want you to put a little tally on your post-it note, just your little right. piece of paper, make yeah. a little mark. And every time that happens, just make a little mark for me. Um, yeah. And like I said, there's, there's, it's not a competition. Uh, there's no, you know, right or wrong here. I just want you to note it down. Um, and that simple act, every time we recognise that our attention has drifted off and we refocus it, yeah. They're just going to make a little note, and that act is going to create a level of awareness. Of course, it is, yeah. And yeah, and so you know, I might model that for them, obviously, like you know, on on the whiteboard, and then yeah. I'll say, right, okay, for the next forty five minutes, I want you to do that, and then at the end of the forty five minutes, we're going to have a conversation about what you found out through your post. So it's a little bit of a, a mini self research activity for them, yeah. Uh, and we'll talk about it at the end, and. What students have often shared with me at the end of that, and, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It depends very much on the way it's framed by the teacher. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and so the level of kind of seriousness and, um, and sort of invested energy the teacher gives it, like any activity. Uh, and then, you know, the conversations at the end for me have been really insightful for the students in that they'll reflect on, wow, they didn't realise that they, you know, drifted off so much, but... They were really happy that they were able to bring their attention back. Uh, some of them will have very little. Some of them will have a lot of these kind of tallies. And so it's a really, it's a reflective conversation yeah. for them. And what um, I love about that is that it's not, like you said, this is not right or wrong. This is not, you know, self-grading your work and realising your work isn't as good as someone else. This is, What's lovely about that idea is that, you know, you might do it. And, uh, and this is why I think, again, metacognition is so, so important as a learner is that I might do it and notice that I've drifted off 10 times and, and be shocked by my own drifting, if you know what I mean. So actually sitting there and realizing, God, I didn't realize that I do it that much is in itself that a realization that could change, change you, couldn't it? Absolutely. Um, and that's same with somebody else who's, you know, yeah, who's only maybe done it two or three times thinking, actually, I concentrate better than I thought, you know? Absolutely, yeah, and and that's going to stimulate that level of awareness that we need our students to kind of uh, develop. Would you then, would you then, uh, then teach them then the strategy to stop drifting off, <laughs> or or do you just say right, that's you, let's move on? Do you then start saying right, what do we do when that happens? How can we prevent it? Correct, and well, I would say two things. One is that the more we practice, um, say a strategy like this, like a self-recording strategy the better our awareness becomes and therefore the faster we will have that moment of realisation. So that, yeah. that gap between drifting, realisation and then sort of refocusing will shorten. And yeah. in some cases it might even kind of dissipate altogether and yeah. we'll be able to hold our focus for longer. Uh, and so that's the aim. I, I don't, I think I view self-regulation as a practice, kind of like a meditation practice in that our right. students... Yeah. Are practicing this daily and even as an adult 
we're practicing this daily. Yeah. And That's some days some days we do it well and some days we don't. It doesn't matter how skilled or knowledgeable you are. <laughs> no, no, uh, it's close. There's still there's still that fluctuation, isn't it? And so um, I, I guess the teacher as well from that would realise because if, if I did that activity now tomorrow with a class, it's not just about them, is it? Because I might think, right, well, actually, my class are drifting off five to, you know, ten times in, in, a, in a lesson. What could I do differently? Because maybe the drifting is because, <laughs> you know, my lesson's yeah. boring. You know, yep, and, and so it's a self-reflection for you as well, isn't it, that activity? Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. It can um, it can get be be a good indicator, I think, for a teacher. Good feedback cycle for a teacher as well yeah, sure. to better understand yeah. how perhaps elements of their lesson are promoting mm. that sort of focus and attention. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because also you'd think that if you tell me now, right, you've really got to concentrate on when you're not concentrating. Uh, you know, I feel like would I drift off as much if I if I've got a pen and a post-it? But I guess naturally it just happens, doesn't it? You can't you can't almost can't help it. And so the act of writing it on the post-it brings you back into the room, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. That sort of that goal of recording that is gonna help your focus in itself. So so there's studies that have shown, and this is outside of the educational context, but uh, you know, there's a really famous study um that looked at cigarette smokers so if there's right. any uh, cigarette smokers on the line yeah this might be helpful for you but um the simple act of recording how many cigarettes these participants were smoking per day yeah that, so they didn't tell them to to reduce smoking just the simple right. act of recording yeah. um reduced the number of cigarettes they were smoking wow. and so yeah. i don't know if um you know you might remember that i used to hit the gym at debden park high school oh yeah massively one, mate yeah massively. Yeah. <laughs> one thing you know if if um, whenever you go to the gym and you sign up with a personal trainer um one of the first things they'll ask you to do is to record a food diary to record what you eat for like a week yeah um and again self-recording strategy um the minute you start recording what you eat, you start to self-recognize, oh, probably not yeah. eating as well as I could. I shouldn't be having chips every <laughs> probably day. Should, yeah. yeah, probably shouldn't be eating <laughs> chips every day. Um, and you instantly change your behavior. The trainer hasn't even told you to change your behavior. No, you no. automatically change it. And yeah. so those but are examples. Is, of, yeah. yeah I, 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 don't you think that's like the, you know, the sort of fit smartwatch as well, isn't it, without dropping any brand names? You know, the, the, for me, the biggest thing about having a smartwatch is the fact that it is recording for me. So it's technically doing that self-recording. And yep. where you say about smoking, for me, every time I look and it's like, you've only done X amount of steps today, it's a realization because effectively what it's doing is recording that. And then I can then see, oh, actually, I've only, I haven't really done much exercise today. I better go and do a half hour walk. And I yes. think that's probably why they're, where they're so successful. Because like you say, like a personal trainer, it's just, it's not actually forcing me to do the exercise, but it's just reminding me that I haven't done what, how much I want, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a great connection again, when we're having these conversations with students about the simplicity of this, this post-it note strategy uh, is actually, how does this relate to the bigger picture of life? And, you know, yeah. Um, smartwatches might be one way of sort of connecting and saying, well, hey, who has a smartwatch and, you know, who records how many steps they do a day? It's it's the same principle. Yeah, same um, thing. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. And so, we, so we've kind of got onto it. So that's a really good example. So I know that's only one. And I know there's mm -hmm. probably 
lots of metacognitive strategies, let's say, but self-recording is obviously one. You've got the Nemo model then of how you would you would introduce that. Um, and I like when you talk about the meditation, because I think there is a, there's a lot of this is to do with mindset and a lot of to do with a bit of stopping and reflecting. But what I want to come back to is when you say about these studies showing that it's not been done enough, um, mm-hmm. th- this is the crux of it for me, why I'm pa- quite passionate about it, is that same as you, I read the EEF stuff, um, me and Ian, you remember Ian Tilbury? Yeah, yeah we, of course. Um, he's also on the listening to the show. He's also said you're a very nice chap. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we did a lot of work with teachers on metacognition. But ultimately, the point is they all got the theory. They could all read the documents. They could see the research. But then actually doing anything different is very, is very difficult. And also Ian would always say, you know, to create a metacognitive environment or a school, or a classroom, it takes a long time of training and a long time of habit changing. And probably that's why it isn't as effect it isn't used as much as it should be in schools, because it's not a quick fix. You know, it's not something yes. you can just, you know, crowbar into your lesson um once in a while. It's it's gotta be it's gotta be done systematically, hasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. There is uh, so I mentioned before that I, I've sort of been really interested in how teachers think about, you know, self-regulated learning and metacognition and trying to tap in to understand that. And what I've realized is that through kind of, you know, CPD as, as what you were talking about, you know, you can work with teachers, you can help them develop that knowledge, but sometimes it still doesn't translate to practice. And why is that? And so one reason I've kind of my research most recently has started to, to show is that there's actually, there's a decision-making process. Yeah. That, Sorry, we've, um, got, um, we've got another caller on the line here. I think that is Ian has actually called in. Ian, are you there? Yeah. <laughs> Ian, uh, did you mean to call in? I'm there. Can you hear me? We can. I did mean to call in. Yeah, so your, your line's a little in, bit ropey right? compared to Shyam's. Uh, even though the fact that I'm probably only about 20 miles <laughs> yeah, what, away What did you here. want to add in, Ian? What did you want to add in? <laughs> Um, I just wanted to add in that what you were talking about, how it's so difficult for teachers to change their practice. And that is because we're so used as teachers to kind of intervening when students are making mistakes. It's kind of like we're hardwired to stop students making mistakes to the point where we don't give them the opportunity to think about their thinking. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. And that, and, that li- and that little task that you just did with Shyam um, about that self-recording, that's just not a typical thing that teachers would do. I think it's great. Yeah, I love it. Never done it. I'll do, I'll do it tomorrow. In my lesson, I'm teaching year eight tomorrow. I'll do it. Give it yeah. great. Yeah, great. Thanks, Ian. Uh, well, I, just to add to what Ian just mentioned, I think I think he's absolutely right. I think Guy Claxton refers to it as premature saving, yeah. um, where we kind of rush in to save uh, the students before they fail. And it comes from a really good place, uh, you know, a really good intention. But uh, is it a disservice to the student and their kind of lifelong learning? Yeah, that's that's the big question. No, and that is, I think, the problem with a lot of some of the teaching you see is is that you know over teaching or too much scaffolding or all these kind of things. Low challenge is all related to teachers. Genuinely, are nice people that want to help uh, as a profession and as a you know as personalities. But unfortunately, that isn't the best arena to learn, is it? You know, so that's what we've got to try and work on, I guess. 
Yes, yeah. So I was, I was mentioning this decision-making process and that those, um, those beliefs that we have as teachers that we have perhaps established over many, many years of, of our own schooling or our teaching practice, they influence this decision-making process. And that decision-making process essentially is, is you know, whether or not we decide to, like Ian said, implement this, um, this self-recording strategy or metacognitive strategies in the classroom, um, it's, it's going to be influenced by this decision-making process. And there's components to that process. Often as teachers, we're weighing up kind of our priorities yeah. Where we're thinking about all the many priorities we have and we're making decisions. Um, you know, from the minute we start lesson planning and thinking about our lessons, we're making decisions about what we need to teach. And I don't know if you, you know, use the same language, but when we're setting learning intentions and learning outcomes, I think that was the language we used to use at Debden. Um, mm. You know, I, I encourage teachers to set a learning intention or a, a learning outcome that specifically relates to self-regulated learning or metacognition. And if they can try and do that, you know, on a regular basis, it could be every lesson, it could be once a week, whatever works for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I think that's what you have to do because I think teachers are really aware of so many different things out there with, you know, let's just say literacy or keywords or making sure something else is referred to. And I think it sometimes becomes too much, although I totally agree with you. But I think the way to do it would be, like you say, just to make it that it's a compliance issue where once a week or once a fortnight that that is put in somewhere to, yeah. to, to, to just bring bring attention to it. I'm going to just bring Ian back in because I had to mute him because obviously I was getting an echo from your voice through his speaker. So I'm just <laughs> going to see if Ian's got anything else to, he wants to add before I, before I let him go. Um, I'm just going to unmute you, Ian. Ian, you're live again. Thanks, Seth. Yeah, I, I think in terms of teaching, changing teachers' practice, there was someone else who we used to work with called Baljit Marwar, who um, used to say that if she was ever trying something new, and this is what we're talking about in terms of changing that those decision-making processes, she'd yeah, do it with yeah. every class, every single lesson for about four weeks without fail because she knew, even if it didn't work, she knew that that would then start becoming part of her practice. She couldn't just do it with one or two classes. She had to do it wholesale. And yeah, I think no, I, yeah, I'm yeah. a bit like that. You know, the, the poor kids will get bored of it because it's like, I just need to change my practice to help you change your learning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. It's spot on, spot on. I mean, you would get Bowdrick in there somehow. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, Ian, um, thanks for that contribution. Cheers, it's great, it's great to have you on the show. Cheers, mate. Cheers, nice to chat, Ian. Cheers, mate. Bye. Um, so, yeah, we just uh, had to indulge um, another ex-colleague of Shyam's there. Um, but yeah, no, that's fantastic. So um, to get back to just the, as we finish up, because I'm, I'm going to let you go soon, Chayam, because I really appreciate your time. Um, and we're coming to the end of the show anyway. But just to kind of sum it up, what, if we can talk a little bit more about then why you think these strategies are not, um, you know, are, are used as much as they should be. And secondly, how do you think we combat that? So what would be your, you know, if you were in charge of the education system in Australia or UK uh, or Ofsted or whatever, how, how would you go about making this more, um, you know, prevalent? So I think, I think there's probably two key ways that emerge for me. One is that, you know, we do need to create opportunities for, for teachers to have conversations about. Uh, so CPD, you know, teachers to have conversations about this stuff so they can develop their knowledge and start to 
reflect on their own belief systems about self-regulated learning. The more we have yep. conversations about it, the more they're going to reflect. Uh, the other thing is, and this is, you know, this is teachers who tell me one of the biggest barriers for them is competing curriculum demands. Yes. And, and, and they, as far as my conversations with teachers have spanned in terms of formal interviews, et cetera, they, they often externalise that as, as if it's, it's happening to them. But there is a level of professional autonomy uh, in the decisions they make, right? This is so they can choose what they focus on within the scope of the curriculum. Um, and I yeah. see self-regulated learning very much as part of that curriculum. Yeah. Uh, and so it's also about helping teachers um, understand and realise that they actually have a level of pro- professional autonomy to, to refocus their attention um, to better foster this stuff in the schools. They've been given kind of permission through yeah. the curriculum to do this. Um, and so it's, it's going to come down to a level of professional choice yeah. um, and encouraging them to make those choices. So it's, it's sort of twofold there, supporting yeah. them to develop their knowledge, reflect on their beliefs, but then also helping them understand that well, I think have. that's I think that's a very kind of um, I don't know what the right word is here. I want to say sort of uh, hippie-ish, but not. I don't mean that. <laughs> I, I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean I think it's a really admirable way of looking at it because ultimately this is not something you, nobody really wants to get help. You know, tell teachers to do things because they've got to do it. You know, you've got to use a red pen. You've got to use a green. You know, th- there is obviously some elements of compliance in there, but with something like this, I agree with you. I think. If we can get teachers to understand through the research or through the projects that like you've done um, and actually realize how how powerful it is, then you then get a secondary effect, hopefully, that they then will want to put it in to their lessons. Because ultimately you can't, like you say, you don't want to do an inset where you do an hour of saying this is great. Right. Everybody's got to put it in a lesson plan by next week. You know, that that's not going to help. Um, but yet at the same time, if you want to drive that, if I was a head teacher wanting to drive it in my school and make it a real cultural part of the ethos of my, my students and my teachers, then you, you kind of do have to do that a little bit, don't you? You do have to say, right, when I walk around the school, I want to see more students doing that. Do you get what I, I mean? I think, yeah, absolutely. I, and I think teachers are pretty open to that. I think they want to be prompted <laughs> Oh, you know, this yeah. is my experience with the teachers. They they want structures in schools that enhance that uh, that notion of permission to do it. Yeah, uh, because for for them, it's what they view as kind of urgent versus important. There's the mm. content and what they view as kind of the urgent needs of the curriculum, which often take precedence over the yeah. important, which is the self regulated literacy numeracy, the long term stuff, the long long term picture, and so they need support to to continuously kind of realign to that long-term yeah, yeah. value that I, we serve our students no, with. So. I, I totally agree and, it, and it's like a lot of things like with you know with Kate Jones and all the and all that you know the all the research on memory and and you know retrieval practice becoming this big thing the problem is it still gets put into lessons badly it still gets done wrong it's still you know and and therefore that's the problem, isn't it? That it, it you want people. If I was going to get teachers to do more retrieval practice, I'd want them to really understand the bottom line about memory and why you have to revisit stuff before I then ask them to do it. And like you're yes. saying about metacognition, the very nature of metacognition is thinking about yourself. So you actually want teachers to do that process in order to then help the students do it. Almost, don't you? Absolutely. 
Yes, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Good, good. Well, I'm glad I've got the doctor agreeing with me. That's good to know. <laughs> good to know that I know what I'm talking about. So before you go, can you send, I know I did ask you about this online. And again, I think there are some good metacognitive books. There's one called uh, the Metacognition Handbook. Uh, I can't remember who it's by, but that is a pretty popular one I've seen on, on a lot of teachers' shelves. Um, but what would be your kind of go-to place to say to people if they want to know more about this or they want to, is it just the EEF place? Is that the only place to go or, or is there anywhere else do you direct people to look? Yeah, so there's multiple kind of public documents. There is, um, I know there's a book by Linda Nilsson uh, called Creating Self-Regulated Learners. Um, that was written back, I think, in 2013. Right. So obviously, you know, the, the research has progressed since then, but I think yeah. it's still... Uh, perhaps a worthwhile look in. Um, there is that document that I know you tweeted, the Teaching Students How to yeah. Learn um, yeah. document that came out from the International Academy of Education. That was written by colleagues of mine from Flinders who, um, you know, these are professors, so these are, you know, well-established academics in the field. Um, and that document, because it was released this year, really brings together kind of the last 10 years as well. Um, so that's a pretty useful document. And I know you can see that on on the Teach Talk Radio uh, Twitter feed. Yeah, um, that's on there. Yeah, we have. Um, so obviously, there's Education Endowment Foundation. There's um, we have Evidence for Learning here in in Australia, uh, which also is, is a website that has uh, documented kind of uh, resources around uh, metacognition and self regulated learning. And so that could be a useful um, source for some people. Uh, I definitely am hoping to write a book at some point in the near future. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Shameless plug for planning for the future. but uh, No, but I mean, looking, there's, I, I think there's a gap, isn't there? There is a gap there. There's definitely a yes. gap with between the, all the research that you've talked about, which is fascinating, and obviously we've not even touched the surface of that, but all the research, all the things you've found out, um, plus what we know works, um, and, and then adding that to our knowledge or, you know, just talking to you today, our knowledge of the pressures on teachers time-wise for curriculum, for all the other million plates that they're spinning. But again, like other things, when people say, well, I haven't got time to put that in, it's like, well, actually, if you spend a bit of time putting that in, long-term, you will get a better result. But the problem is it's was under such time pressure to turn things around. People don't want to do things that, are, that take long time you know, they want quick yeah. fixes. I've got year 11s in front of me. And again, the pressure from SLT, quite rightly, is that they're only ever judged on that light, latest set of data. So it was always to me, yeah, that's a great idea. But actually, what we're doing about this year 11 in front of you, who's got an exam in two months time, how are you yes. going to use your time to benefit? And I get that. I totally get that. But I think there's definitely a gap for, you know, unless anyone wants to get in touch with us, there's definitely a gap for something that a, a a toolbox, a toolkit, a strategy guide, something that's going to help teachers like that one you've given us today. I mean, that's one example. Um, but, you know, a ways to actually put, put, put embed this into teaching, really. Put this into practice, yeah. Yeah, that, that's well, what we yeah. need, really. I have to admit, you know, every interview and, and formal research questionnaire that I've run, I, one of the questions I, I would ask is, you know, is, is teaching self-regulated learning important? And not a single teacher has told me it is not important. They've all told me, it's, it's highly important. They, they rate it very highly. And, and so teachers tell me it's really important. It just doesn't seem to correlate no, with it. Th I think that, but that's like anything, isn't um, it? It's like, you know, I, I, I know it's important, like you said earlier, that I do more exercise or I, or I don't smoke or I eat more fruit. doesn't mean I'm going to do it, um, you know, unless I change those yeah. habits and unless I'm aware. 
So I think you're right. We've got a few comments here before you go. Uh, Ian's saying um, it's um, always good to have someone on SL, uh, SLTs who have enthusiasm for teaching. He says it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than thinking your way into a new way of acting. Um, when is Dr. Barr coming to London? Um, so are, have you got any plans to come? I know we were in a pandemic, but uh, any other plans to come back? Or are you going to be? We would love to actually. Um, we've been talking about it for a while and we had plans, I think, for next year at some point. We've got a friend who's getting married. Right. Over in the okay. UK, so um, I'll keep you posted if that. Oh, good. Um, let us know. Choice. Definitely let us know. And uh, <laughs> congratulations on your own marriage, even though it was years ago. Thank um, you. <laughs> and also, he's put the big takeaway from you today is that self-regulation is part of the curriculum, and that he he did create a booklet on metacognition, but I don't think it it was never published as a book. But he did make a little pamphlet, which was quite quite good. I remember that Ian did. Um, right, well, I'm going to let you go because we've overrun a bit, but that's absolutely fine because it's been so fascinating talking to you. I wish we could have had more time. I wish we could just go to the pub and now and, and, and talk properly about it. But maybe we can hook up on a Zoom call maybe and, and get into more detail with this because it's, it's a really interesting topic. And I hope the listeners have really enjoyed it. And if you've missed the beginning, then also you can go into Spotify. Tell, tell your friends, Shyam, you're on Spotify um, and you can download it as a podcast. Sounds great. Thanks so, so much right. for the opportunity. And so um, um, what are you doing now? Are you going, you're going to work now, are you? You're going well, to it's work? it's 4.30. I'm going to hit the gym. <laughs> oh, God. You make me sick. You really do. All right. <laughs> okay, mate. Well, good luck with that. Enjoy. Me, best of luck with your career. Take care, mate. Thanks, Thanks for joining Bye. us. Bye. Uh, that was Cheyenne Barr, Dr. Cheyenne Barr there uh, from the University of Canberra, uh, an ex-colleague of mine, but a fantastically interesting uh, person to talk to. We have overrun a little bit. I do apologise for that, but I think it's been a fantastic show today. And as it's my last one before Christmas, I think uh, I can be excused uh, for that on this occasion. So it just leaves me now to say, uh, I hope you all have a great uh, last week of term. Um, look after yourselves, take care. You will get there. And, and then you'll have some time with your family and friends to uh, recharge. And let's just hope that the pesky Omicron uh, uh, just does one and goes away. Um, that would be lovely for everyone involved, wouldn't it? Um, but anyway, thanks for joining me. Um, I'll speak to you again, all the listeners in the new year, uh, 2022. And like I say, if you've missed the show, you want to download it, go on to Spotify or through the website, ttradio.org, and you can do listen back uh, and listen to the whole show all over again. Um, and that is me uh, for today. Have a lovely evening. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.